see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley, and today we're coming to you on site in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania Convention Center for Pack Expo East 2020. If you're not among the 7,000 attendees, which is probably going to be a new record for Pack Expo East, that have come through the doors this week, I have with me uh, Matt Reynolds, editor of Packaging World. He's been on the pod before, so you're all going to recognize the name. And he's going to tell us a few of the things that you would have seen if you were here and should have been here to see. Uh, Matt, first of all, how's it going? Going well. Going well. Yeah, a lot of attendees. Uh, good show so far. That's what I like to hear. So I guess, uh, you know, it's really the, it, the the world is your oyster. You tell me um, you went up there, you walked the floor. What, what, what things jumped out at you? What's happening? Um, what, what are attendees talking about? Basically, what's the buzz? Yeah, well, we're seeing a lot of uh, continuation of uh, what we saw in Las Vegas and other shows and so on. The big thing right now in the material side is the move to mono materials. Specifically, polyethylene, uh, the 2HDPE channel of recycling is one that I saw specifically here at the show uh, at the Color Masters booth. Uh, that's a converter that does pouches and so on for various industries, pet food. Chicken is a big one that they're into as well. So what previously existed as a multi-layer material, specifically for chicken with barrier properties and so on for, you know, whether it was frozen chicken, now is available in an HDPE material that is easily recycled. Now, HDPE, unlike straight PE, will be recycled into uh, the manufacturing industry. So it's not going to be recycled back into other bags, I don't believe. Okay. But uh, still, it's a step in the right direction. And it's just one example of, of the many that I've seen recently of companies reaching these goals of, of mono materials. Now, they're not there yet in terms of fully functional or being um, accomplishing everything that everybody wants, but they're uh, definitely moving in that direction. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. When you said first pet food and then chicken, I made a correlation to people having chickens as pets <laughs> 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 or feed for chickens. I'm um, sure that would be a perfectly so I, uh, useful. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I was going to ask, and I'm glad that you specified that it was for actually um, poultry that was going to right. be purchased. Okay. So now I'm glad that we could clear that up without me having to bring it out there. I guess, um, are there any other things sustainable, recyclable wise? I know that's been a, it's again, it's been a hot topic forever, but the last time we talked, that was something that, you know, we touched on. Is it something you're still seeing up there? Yeah, it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. So the materials are one side of it, then 
for uh, machinery. We're talking about reducing power inputs and voltages and whatever that might be, reducing waste. It's just so omnipresent. It's hard to nail down one little thing because it, it really does affect, touch everything. I guess one example is in Europe, frequently you'll find on store shelves in Europe in retail settings, beverages, whether that's, you know, large, you know, one liter or half liter beers packaged together in some sort of shrink film or shrink wrap. Mm -hmm. We're seeing uh, even Coca-Cola would be doing that or had traditionally done that. We're seeing a move towards paperboard as a carton, paperboard cartons as a replacement for plastic, just to deal with the perception that plastic carries with it amongst the public. Now that not necessarily addressing things like light weighting and overall carbon footprint. I mean, I don't know what the calculus is there because paperboard could potentially be heavier and thus, you know, require more gasoline to travel from one sure. to the other. But regardless, bigger companies in Europe are making that move to paperboard, just specifically for beverages, but other uh, packs that had been shrink wrapped. Interesting. Okay. Outside of sustainability, um, recyclability, I feel like we would talk about that forever at every um, event. Let's, let's get something else that... Um, whether it's been in the news or you've been covering for Packaging World, um, something that's up there on the show floor that is also touching things that you've heard. Yeah, so we're seeing a lot more uh, uh, willingness to talk about cannabis, cannabis industry. One one article that we actually did recently um, was on a Arizona producer or a, a grower and producer and packager called Harvest Health. So actually on the show floor was the identical machine to the one that they purchased from Massman. Now, this was a pouch filler and sealer. So uh, we're seeing a, a lot more companies embrace the cannabis industry as it sweeps kind of westward from its inception on the West Coast and, and into the East Coast. It's interesting you say that because I, I did actually sit in and listen to your colleague, Jim Krasan's presentation on cannabis at the innovation stage at Pack Expo East. And he had actually made a very point that I never really thought of, but he said that coming from the cannabis industry side of it, well, he's not coming from the cannabis industry side of it, but speaking, having talked to them a lot, he's saying that for OEMs, it's time to start treating cannabis also seriously when they they come into your plant. He said, sometimes they, you know, it's, it's a giggle and a whatever about how you're doing. You know, these are serious businesses with serious, you know, cash flow and, you know, capital that are coming to invest. And a lot of times they're very put off by the fact that you're going into a, a machinery and an OEM willing to buy this and you're kind of being dismissed as sort of this rogue industry. So I guess like you're saying on your end that, you know, the OEMs are willing to admit that they're kind of jumping into it. So it's also interesting that from the other end, that that's going to help because it's, they are a little put off by the fact that they're, you know, yeah. popping up and being laughed at, so to speak. Yeah, what we're seeing, in especially in some of the more recent companies that are, are getting into cannabis, is they're brand owners. They have a brand owner mentality. They come from the industry. They come from, you know, P&G or Coca-Cola. They come from big brand owners that already exist. And that's the mentality that they're taking, as opposed to, I mean, there's still a significant amount of career changers and entrepreneurs right. and so on. But the, the bigger companies now are looking more professional, more experienced in logistics and supply chain and these types of things. And, and it, the industry as a whole is being recognized for what it is. And it's just another CPG. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a consumer product. You know? That's good and, to hear. And, uh, and I think that willingness is drawing the OEMs themselves into being willing to talk about it and to talk about their products as their machines being capable of producing this perfectly legal product in right. many states. And I, I mean, we're located, this is in Philadelphia and in the Pennsylvania, it's, uh, it's medicinally, you can get it. Um, and in most of the states in tri-state area, um, New Jersey, New York, Delaware, Maryland, it's at least medicinal. Um, some are moving towards recreational. But with that in mind, did you see examples on the show floor of people besides Massman who are, even if they weren't directly pointing to it, but we're showing examples of how they are trying to target that market? 
Yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, labelers, for instance, uh, out there were demonstrating small PET or small containers that could be used for the flower. Various other, uh, you know, that those kinds of labelers could also be used for vape pens and so on, where they're still being used. So uh, it, multiple applications. And it's it's lean, it's not just the flower itself. We're also talking about gummies, what could be mm-hmm. uh, chocolate bars right. and these kinds of things. And again, the idea is that from a packaging perspective, that gummy or that chocolate bar is identical to what would be a traditional right. gummy or chocolate bar. The, the THC or the CBD, whatever it might be, that's added upstream. That's, that might be a processing issue, but it's not a packaging issue. So uh, the willingness to you know embrace the industry is, is becoming more and more of a trend. Okay, that's interesting. Um, all right, beyond cannabis, which is another thing that we could talk about a bunch, um, what else is happening up there? Yeah, well, one ongoing trend, and this has you know, been true for, for years, but we're just seeing it continue because I, I mentioned Massman once already. Massman recently purchased another company, uh, an integrator, uh, DTM. Also, Allfill has recently required uh, Repack, a labeler. So we know about the Promark, the Duravant, and the Barry Waymiller models, mm-hmm. but you know it's elsewhere as well. And the value to the brand owner is the ability to, instead of having to go out and find five different machines that accomplish five different tasks and get them all to talk together, but to create these end-to-end solutions everything from the filling right down to one-stop shop yeah exactly so it's like turnkey solutions you hear a lot more and more frequently we're seeing examples of consolidation in the industry and i think it's a it's a consolidation that doesn't remove that element of individuality because a lot of times these brands will retain their identity because that's Um, sometimes consolidation can be heard as a bad thing that's why i was actually you you beat me to it by saying that it seems like it's not being viewed as a bad thing because they're right maintaining their individuality. Yeah. And there's some, you know, economies of scale that can be uh, accomplished without losing, you know, individual brand identity. And, and what one company does well is what's sought. That's why these companies are being bought is because they're doing something well. And the larger companies don't want to lose whatever that secret sauce that made them tick mm-hmm. to begin with that made them seek them out, make the purchase. So again, ongoing acquisitions that lead to consolidation, but I think ultimately lead to more value for the brand owner uh, amongst the folks that were walking around upstairs. Yeah. All right. How about um, anything um, touching on the supply chain or anything like that bigger than just, you know, that, that kind of ties the packaging and the processing and all that right. stuff together? Any Anything up there rumbling well, about that? Yeah. I mean, we're turning on any of the news channels. There's a lot going on in terms of politics and the coronavirus, for instance, and certain areas of the world where there might be some semblance of unrest. So uh, what we're hearing murmurs of is, is, is these factors are not yet specifically affecting uh, OEM. But one thing I did hear about was the brand owners themselves seeking OEMs, spare parts, basically. OEMs that have big spare parts or aftermarket business, their customers are asking to actually take on inventory. Oh, interesting. Where, okay, what, I was wondering where that was going and I, I hadn't even thought of that. Okay. So consider uh, wear parts or something that, you know, when you were getting towards, you know, 95% of life or whatever it might be, that would be the time when that brand owner would call up and order two more to specifically avoid having to keep inventory of lots of of parts. But times have changed right now, you know. And who knows where in terms of supply chain Mm -hmm. and possible supply chain disruptions, it's a matter of stocking up on some of those parts. Now, the specific materials, I haven't heard yet, whether that's aluminum or whatever that might be. Right. But um, just in case, these brand owners are definitely planning ahead for potential supply chain disruptions. One area that will probably see greatest impact might be amongst like uh, nutraceuticals, vitamins. There are certain types of ingredients that are, I say ingredients, but it could be a vitamin or Mm -hmm. a nutraceutical that are only produced in China or have very limited production anywhere else in the world. Okay. So the kinds of stuff that you 
purchase at a GNC or something like that might be more and more difficult to find. I know Coca-Cola, for instance, a significant percentage of the aspartame that is used in, you know, the ever-present Diet Coke, right. uh, you know, came from China. So they, of course, a company like that has the foresight and sure. vision to be able to source elsewhere, but they did have to move some things around to make sure that they're not make, having any supply uh, disruption. That is one that I had heard that sugar substitutes, a lot of that comes from overseas and that is something that the prices are going up on or had already started to go up on because of um, anticipated, uh, I guess, disruptions. Right. I mean, we hit a we hit a bunch of good things. I mean, we hit things that are of interest and that are that are in the news. Is there anything else out there that you think well, we didn't touch on? One, see, these are all incremental uh, trends mm-hmm. that we've seen in the past, but bears mentioning that we see them continuing. One last one I saw: there's a company um, that was doing 3D printing using uh, the HP Jet Fusion. I think the company's name was NCS. But 3D printing, as historically, has been a means of prototyping, fast prototyping, yes. fail fast, that kind of thing. But more and more, we're seeing companies that are uh, you know, actually using them as production parts. And in, in an era where there could be right. potential disruption to supply chain, the option to print a mm-hmm. part on, you know, either the OEM printing the part or the brand owner himself printing a part or a third party somewhere in between printing the part and having that availability to have that on hand at any time is interesting. And yeah, I, that is an interesting option yeah. that I hadn't even thought of that keep waiting for 3D printing to kind of pop. And this could be that type of situation where where they can't get it from other places. They have to use what they have to sort of solve their own problem. And if they have a 3D printer, it would be a way to, to solve that with uh, making their own parts. Well, I really appreciate you taking time from the show floor to you know sit down with us and share this with our listeners. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back on again because these are always great conversations we always hit on everything inside of packaging and outside of packaging sometimes as well um with that thank you for listening to this edition of unpacked with pmmi be sure to join us next time for more packaging and processing industry insights please rate review and subscribe to do that go to the itunes podcast or spotify app on your phone and search for unpacked with pmmi